The reading today is from Isaiah 56, verses 1, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who casts, who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's pray before we start. Lord, Heavenly Father, through the hope of our salvation, enliven us to serve others and invite them into your presence. Amen. So being invited. Is there a better feeling than to be invited to something? Knowing that someone you admire or someone you care about needs you to be there with them to help celebrate or to celebrate someone else. It's a feeling of belonging that satiates something pretty base in the human heart. Uh, Something that my dad often talks about is the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, Something I'm sure we've all studied at some point in high school or something. It's the feeling of belonging that's right there, smack dab, in the middle of the Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Right above the need for security and safety. And right below the, the feeling or need for accomplishment. But please tell me, what's worse than finding out on Monday that all of your acquaintances and friends in your fifth grade class were invited to and celebrated Susie's birthday party on Saturday, and you were not invited. How about when you find out that your best friend growing up on Facebook got married last weekend, and you weren't invited? Or what about finding out that your grandchild had some sort of life milestone like their first steps or something, or their first word, and you find out by seeing a video of it on Facebook. I mean, what in the world? But what feeling is greater than when you get that alert on your phone, or the letter, or the email that says that you are mandatory for the surprise party? Or even the simple phrase at the end of a letter or a card, I can't wait to see you. Well, this is where we turn to the text today, either on page three of the bulletin or Isaiah 56 in your Bible. You'll get to see those secret verses in between the ones selected for today. So in Isaiah 56, something that's super interesting about Isaiah chapter 55 is the book seems to end right there in Isaiah 55 because Isaiah seems to be split into different collections of chapters 
And at the end of chapter 55, it seems that God and Israel's checklist is complete. Cyrus is going to allow the Israelites to return from Babylon. The suffering servant Messiah is going to die and rise again for the sins of all. And Zion is going to be restored. This is the dream. This is the perfect campaign promise. Israel is going to get exactly what she wants. And that means it's over, right? This is where human nature comes in, right? So Israel has gotten what she wants from the meeting, from the Zoom call, the FaceTime. She'd like to hang up on God and move on with her day. It's as though she's constantly forgetting who's in charge here. As she tries to close that book on chapter 55, Yahweh sticks his giant finger in there and he says, I'm not finished. He reveals, starting with this chapter, with this text today, to tell us about how everything the Israelites, the Hebrews, knew to be true is to be flipped over on its head. He says, yeah, you're going to get all of the things on that checklist, but this too. And you probably aren't going to like it. But it doesn't matter, because I'm God, and you're not God. What does God say? He says, he says, surprise, not all of you are Israel. Only those of you who repent, who have faith in their salvation, which is something that he brings to them, and do this thing called righteousness and justice, are Israel. Everyone else actually needs to go. And number two, the Gentiles, us, the Goyim, we're to be saved as well. Shocking. And three, Israel is to be vindicated on the final day of judgment. Now, the Hebrews had a hard time with this, especially the part about everyone being desired to be saved on God's holy mountain. Now, this is something called exclusivism, believing that salvation is only for one group of people, that simply the DNA in your blood is what gets you into the kingdom of heaven. The idea that maybe one race is better than another one. But thinking this way is enemy to God. Because we confess that God has made me and all creatures. Uniquely and wonderfully made we are. He made all races of people to be unique and uniquely loved by the Creator, so much so that they bear an image of Him who created them and sets them far above all other creation. John the Baptist made it very simple. He said, Don't presume to say to yourselves that you have Abraham as your father, that the mere fact that you're of a certain tree will save you because God is the creator. He could make sons of Abraham out of stones. Jesus' teachings also clashed up against this people's exclusivist, hateful thinking throughout his life, his ministry, and then finally his death and resurrection. Do you remember Jesus when he went to the temple in Jerusalem? There is this certain court where the Gentiles got to make sacrifices to God. It had always been there. They prayed to him there. They worshipped him there. However, the money changers started uh, selling livestock, sacrifice stuff in this special area for the Gentiles. 
keeping these outsiders it was made for from worshiping and being a part of God's covenant. And that's why Jesus got so upset and started turning over the tables and driving out those money changers. So what's cool is he actually quotes verse 7 while he's driving out those money changers from the prophet Isaiah. He says, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer? And he adds, For all the Gentiles. Jesus was showing that the fullness of the Father was in him. Like how when people came and worshipped at his feet, he didn't shoo them away or stop them because, right, he is the temple. Jesus is the temple. He tells us that something greater than the Jerusalem temple is actually here, himself. Now, when we continue in Isaiah verse 7, what does Yahweh go on to say? He says, The sacrifices and offerings of the Gentiles will be accepted on my altar. This is the same altar from Isaiah chapter 6, where the prophet Isaiah is cleansed through the atoning sacrifice of God. This is the one atoning sacrifice offered up for all salvation of the world, the salvation and sacrifice that God promised. Promised in the beginning of Genesis, the sacrifice of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. His righteousness revealed, and it's for all people. Now, ask yourself, do you have a problem with who God chose to bring salvation to? Are you uncomfortable with all people being invited? Well, I pray not, because in this situation, we are the red-headed, red-headed stepchildren that are invited in the story. We're the ones that Jesus made a place for in the temple by driving out others. We're the ones who crumbs are thrown off the table for us to eat up. We're the ones Jesus had to forgive because we knew not what we were doing. Thank you, God, for including us in your salvation. Your gratitude, your joy of the hope for Christ's coming again, it shows itself in the present moment, in doing. Loving your neighbor as Jesus loves you self-sacrificially. Doing your absolute best to listen. And asking questions when you just don't get it. And my favorite, asking yourself, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said right now? And does it have to be said right now by me? The Isaiah text today reveals that salvation, also, what it means is being near to God. And that we don't go up to him, he comes down to us to be near us. It's what he wants. He delivers on those big promises that his salvation is near and that because of this we ought to do righteousness and justice now. In verse 6, God declares that these foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, what do they do? He says, they're all to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. And so what marks someone as a servant of God? 
Well, it's actually pretty easy. You look around and you think maybe I'm one of those servants. You take refuge in him. Maybe you're crushed in spirit. Maybe you're grieving over the brokenness of the world, over the brokenness of the church. You tremble at God's word. You're the offspring of the servant Messiah. And your righteousness is from God alone. To love the name of the Lord, to serve him, is to honor and love the place where he he dwells, where he lives. And God promises this in Exodus chapter 20. He says, In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. The word. God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and dwells amongst us. God promises to be present with his people in their worship at the church, the body of Christ. He promises to gather up all the people of this world on his holy mountain to be with him and to eat with him and to talk with him, invited, loved, and changed. Yeah, we're, we're all like Isaiah. We're men and women of unclean lips in an unclean land. But that's all taken away by God in that one atoning sacrifice of his son, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. The one that he promised all those days ago in Genesis. The one who never got any invitation from us. The altar where Isaiah was made clean, where you and I were made clean, is the cross where Jesus remains crucified, now his throne. He makes us not children of Abraham, but instead children of the Heavenly Father. Children of the promise of the Messiah. A Messiah who would come down, be mocked, beaten, scourged, misunderstood, laughed at, and die for the sins of everybody. The Messiah is the temple, and it was destroyed and rebuilt in three days. And now, today, we still worship at his temple, the temple of his son, Jesus Christ, both in spirit and truth. Like Jesus told the woman at the well, he dwells with us, in us. He washes us of our sin in the waters of baptism with his blood. Like verse 7 says, he makes us joyful in his house of prayer. The holy mountain, church, we keep the Sabbath there by delighting and listening to and reading his word, the preaching of his word by a wonderful, dutiful Pastor Rod. We worship Jesus with thanksgiving sacrifice, with offerings of singing and praise, as well as wise stewardship of our finances. We hold fast his covenant. That's what it says in verse 6. We must hold fast his covenant, the new covenant in Christ's blood. I know the sacrament of the table is not neglected here, I see these pictures on Facebook of you guys receiving communion in your cars during this pandemic. God bless you. He gives you all these good things. He gives you salvation right here at church. Nowhere else in the world is giving you word and sacrament ministry, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is who he is, how he presented himself, with a body, the church, Take him or leave him. 
And so Jesus pronounces to the whole world through the prophet Isaiah in today's text. Jesus gets the final word in verse 7. Oh, verse 8. Jesus says, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And he'll later echo this in the Good Shepherd story of the New Testament. Faith comes from hearing the message. And you're hearing it right now. Jesus made you clean through the power of his atoning sacrifice for your sins. This is the clear invitation of God that he gave to all his people first in Exodus and then again in Isaiah and now the preaching of the gospel at the pulpit of your church. The salvation for all who believe on him who died and was raised. God invites us to be included with those who love him with those who he has saved. Oh, how I love to be in that number. So let's be grateful to have a gracious Father such as this. Let's listen to his word. Let's hold fast to his sacrament. Let's offer our worship and praise to him. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen.